0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, as a professor, as a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we're going to talk about Christian nationalism and dominion theology. So there's a growing feud between Christians about the role of Christianity in a nation's identity, in its laws and its structures, and some see the role of Christianity as completely disconnected from the state, politics, and law, while others, on the other hand, believe that the word of God and recognition of God's supremacy by the state are critically necessary. Today, we're going to talk about two aspects of this debate. That's Christian nationalism and dominion theology. So Aaron, let's introduce this discussion and maybe you can help us think through this. How would you define Christian nationalism? Well, I want to begin by
1: stating very clearly that as with any theological system, there are variations of belief and there are variations of application. So for example, you could get a room full of 25 Calvinists or 25 Arminians or in a different category of theology, 25 Charismatics or 25 Cessationists. And they may all bear those titles with pride, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they believe the exact same thing about every aspect of that system of theological belief, nor does it mean that they're going to apply it the same. Some of them won't apply it at all, right? Mm -hmm. So we often joke the most the ultimate irony is an ungracious Calvinist, for example. But the reality is, there's some people that buy into, let's say, a Calvinist theology, and they're not gracious. Well, that's that's not really applying an, a concept that's critical and core and central to your whole belief system. And this discussion doesn't fall so much into the category of soteriology or uh, pneumatology, but. I wanted to use those as illustrations just to say right up front, when we use terms Christian nationalist, there's going to be some different views on what that actually is. So from my vantage point, very simply, I'll I'll try to simplify things without dumbing people down. Christian nationalism essentially, well, it starts off, it's robustly Christian so it's centered on Christ, the Word of God, the full revelation of God in history, and it is nationalistic. So, what? It let's, maybe we'll start there. So there's there's kind of there's two competing worldviews in our generation about nationhood. So some people are nationalistic, like I'm an I am a nationalist. So when I look at the Tower of Babel. And I see everyone trying to come together. Bad things are happening. They're trying to essentially usurp God's authority and God comes down. And in a quote unquote, pre-political state, before there was statehood, before there were multiple nations, he confuses the language, he disperses the nations, and he, he defines their boundaries. So, what's what we have there in that pre-political context is God putting nationhood, statehood, if you will, into play in a fallen world. Why? To restrain evil. Mm-hmm. Now, if everybody was fearing the Lord, following God's word, loving God, we that wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have to have... We could just kind of be one global community, but the reality is in a broken world, dividing people up, it almost sounds anti-Christian, but it's pre-politically biblical, dividing people up into nations, having borders, affirming the role of governance over a limited state is actually a biblical concept. So the, the opposite would be more of the globalism mindset where... The move towards one world government or a lot of the efforts we've been seeing by the World Economic Forum to control politicians, getting cabinet ministers from our government, for example, through their training process, through their indoctrination. There's a lot about what the WEF is doing that's just very bad. But let's suppose for a moment it was kind of on the good side, which it's not, but let's suppose it was. There's still no paradigm in scripture for globalism nationhood distinct nationhood being able to for example defend define and then defend your borders and appointing a government whatever that form might be to under God govern the people that's a biblical concept in a fallen world now by the way I understand globalization like I understand globalization and globalism aren't exactly the same thing. Globalization, we live in a global world. We, we buy things from other countries. There's trade, there's commerce, there's relationships. There's maybe the formation of associations to assist one another in military matters or trade or commerce or shipping or whatever it might be. Like I'm not saying every nation should be like North Korea, sort of hunkered down, disconnected from the rest of the world. So globalization is... it it can be a positive word in that we acknowledge we live in a global world. There's a lot of economic links and whatnot, but globalism is a little different animal. It's basically opposed to things like borders. It's opposed to national identity. It's opposed to countries that say, you know, Hey, we don't want you in uh, interfering with our sovereignty. And we would oppose that. So, Again, I would say that if, you're, if you have to pick between nationalism and globalism, nationalism is a, a, ple, a pre, what I would call a pre-political, meaning pre-statehood, pre-advent of nations, pre-political response that God himself put in to restrain evil, Period. And does that mean it's perfect? No. Does that mean it restrains all evil? No. Does that mean that there aren't abusive leaders of countries or people that are idolat have almost an idolatrous commitment to their own national identity? No, I understand that. Like all of these systems in broken world can be abused, but globalism is not not the answer. So a Christian nationalist focuses on the The idea of how how should Christianity and the Bible as a whole so this is not just a New Testament idea how do how does biblical Christianity interact with the nation state? What's the relationship? So here you and I are we're Christian men, part of a Christian church and a broader Christian community in Canada. What is the the role and relationship of Christians and Christianity to the state. So Christian nationalism, again, can come in various forms and can be abused. I get all that. But very simply, it's the belief that since every single nation, I want the listener to really lock into this and mull this over. Tell me if this isn't true. That since every nation must ultimately appeal to some final authority for their law, civil law, and moral law, and ultimately put power and ultimate authority in some source, that what we should be doing is acknowledging the supremacy of God as that ultimate source. And when God reveals his truths, his laws, his word, the principles, the moral precepts of scripture, when he reveals those to humanity, the ones that relate to civil governance, moral conduct, expectations, the rights and dignity of humanity, for example, those should be acknowledged nationally in a nation by its citizens, by its institutions, by its government and in its governing documents. So perhaps, um, perhaps we could point to many examples Of where this has been abused. But fundamentally, just be real simple Christian nationalism, let's take Canada for example, means that Canada has the right to exist as a country, defend its borders, manage its own affairs without undue foreign influence. But Canada isn't a God. The parliament isn't a God. You don't just pull laws out of thin air. You don't just get to decide what marriage is. You don't just get to decide what your sexual ethic is by a vote, the government of our country and the institutions within our country should be restrained by God, fundamentally acknowledging the supremacy of God who's revealed himself through Christ in in the public sphere, in, in civil discourse. And that, if you're developing laws that, you know, or let's say you're developing a law that's morally neutral, like our, our, our stop signs going to be octagons or circles, you know, round circles. you can make those decisions, but you can't make decisions as a nation that are contrary to fundamental creational biblical laws. So you can't, the nation doesn't get to define for example what marriage is chris they don't Mm -hmm. they don't have that authority and the a christian community is is right to put their hand and say yeah no we're not going to let you do that that's wrong we're going to speak out against it not retreat and be quiet and sort of let the world just fall apart so this can be abused it's Christian nationalism has nothing to do, I want to say this very clearly, with replacing the gospel message. <laughs> it's nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with being unduly partisan, necessarily hitching our wagon for all of eternity to one political party. You know, political parties come and go, rise and fall, some are better, some are worse. So we obviously a, a Christian nationalist is going to Stand behind the party most likely to uphold god's word in culture mm-hmm. I and mean, what word are you going to uphold the a secular godless prime minister's mm-hmm. word I mean somebody's going to rule the roost and I understand that Christian nationalism can also sometimes attract some crazy people, but so does leftist radical secular, godless hedonistic
0: mm-hmm.
1: culture so This this concept of Christian nationalism, I think should be supported by more Christians in principle. That doesn't mean that the application of these principles is always easy to discover or that we all have the same response to how this plays itself out in the nitty gritty details, but it needs to be deeply considered. And I think it's a principle that's well grounded in scripture and what's What's fascinating about this is it's nothing new. This is the idea, one of the foundational ideas that Western nations, historically, we all know, were called Christendom, nations that had a Christian basis to them. These are the nations that historically had, these are the nations people want to go to, and they're the nations that had these biblical foundation stones in their culture and people benefited from that. So this is nothing new. This is actually an ancient. And I think, I think it's a robustly biblical approach to answering the question, what's the relationship between Christians and the state or the nation within which they're in. Hmm.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, just as a result that God did it to restrain evil, that he set up nation boundaries. I think that strikes against the kind of utopian desire that people have the idea that people at their basis are basically good and good that point. if you put them in the right environment they'll be good it, we, we know better than that <laughs> yeah that's a good
1: um, good point
0: yeah so you know i just want to i want to make a um i,
1: I want to tell a, little, a quick story I was talking to a friend of mine and he was being confronted by uh, another christian leader on his views he would have similar views to me on this And this other Christian leader said to him when he was sort of talking about Christ and culture, are you trying to Christianize Canada? And he responded, well, I'm not trying to Islamicize it. And I think that was a good response because the idea that I think many of us, myself included, by the way, grew up in churches where we were kind of taught that Christianity has to stay within the walls of the church, more or less. Like we do want to stand for just general social issues and culture, but we don't we don't get involved in politics. We don't we don't challenge the structures of a secular state because that's not the gospel we're told. Like that's not the gospel. We need to tell people about Jesus dying on a cross, being resurrected three days later, and we, we just need to push for people to get into heaven and things are gonna get really bad. And at the end, God's going to wipe it all out and all things will be made new. Well, much of that is true, but if you actually study scripture and you look at, and, and then, and then you, you study scripture, which has a pretty robust presentation of Christ, God as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I mean, Jesus is called King of Kings, Not future tense, present. Not king of the king angels or not king of the 24 elders in heaven, but he's the king of the kings of the earth. He has authority over them. And God is interacting with human structures, human spheres of authority, putting boundaries on them, giving instructions to the civil magistrate, in scripture that he carries the sword on God's behalf as God's servant under the King of Kings, you start to realize you don't have to toss the salvation story, the actual, like the kernel of the gospel, the, the path, the path to salvation being faith in Christ alone for your salvation in order to bring Christian values to bear on culture. And, there is no such thing as a neutral state, which I think is a lie that many people have been taught. It's like, well, secularism is kind of like a it's like a big a big field with some boundary fences far far off in the distance and everyone's allowed to come out and picnic on the field. It's all neutral. That's just false. We've we've seen, we see this loud and clear in Canadian and American culture where there is a deep profound battle taking place between good and evil Mm -hmm. and everything from this, the radical depraved sexual agenda being taught in our schools to babies being butchered in the womb. We live in a real world and in a real world, very dark, very bad, very destructive things happen. And if Christian people that know God and know the truth don't speak the truth into the temporal challenges and struggles of our world and just say, no, we're just about the eternal life message. We're actually complicit. I believe in the growth of evil and the destruction of human lives. Mm -hmm. And it's unprecedented in Christian history for any Christian to argue that that's okay, that we should just sit back and let, the world crumble and burn around us mm-hmm. it's just plain wrong so yes we're trying to christianize canada 100% i want to christianize canada what i don't mean by that is to force people to be christian mm-hmm. or to jam the gospel down people's throat or force people to attend church or pretend they're christian that's not what i mean at all mm-hmm. But to bring, because every culture has to choose an ultimate source of authority and a law code to live by. The, the best of the best of the best and the most beneficial of the most beneficial of the most beneficial authority is the creator God. And the best law code to develop your laws on is the Bible. That's how we historically did it with obviously a lot of error at times slipping in Mm -hmm. and exceptions to rule and bad application. Again, we've never had a utopian Mm -hmm. society, but that's the basic premise. We want to bring God and his word back. I dare say into the public sphere. We want to build up our churches, preach the gospel robustly, but we also want to bring the word of God and his ways back into the public sphere to bless the nations and to restrain evil. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're opposed to secularism. We're opposed to people publicly worshipping whatever they want Mm -hmm. and publicly acting however they want. There has to be a rule book. Mm -hmm. Even just to define something as simple as marriage, which godless people
0: also participate in, it has to have a definition attached Mm -hmm. to it. So that's, that's kind of the idea, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you've said in the past, like, just think about your own home and your own home, what kind of law when we talked about theonomy and God's law and the application there thinking in your own home God's law is good it's not saving your your family uh, but it's setting it up to to run well because you love your family um, okay, shifting gears a little bit because we mentioned we're about we're talking about the Christian nationalism but we also want to talk about Dominion theology. How would you define that?
1: Okay, so Dominion theology and again you you have different, applications of it and different uh, beliefs within the system. But essentially, Dominion Theology is sort of the theological anchor to Christian nationalism. So what what is it? Well, Dominion Theology's starting point is that God, the creator God who made us, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has dominion over everything. He is the Lord. Whether someone acknowledges or not acknowledges him or not it doesn't doesn't matter he's still the lord and in the stewardship mandate of genesis one twenty eight, we are granted uh, dominion as humans over the planet which rightly belongs to god in stewarding our lives that's kind of what it means to be an image bearer to image out to reflect god into the environment within which we live, into culture. That wasn't deleted at Babel when nationhood took place. We extend out the dominion of God over culture, whether we're in the Garden of Eden or we've fallen into sin now we're outside the Garden of Eden or we're in a pre-political state or we're in a political state. We part of our fundamental job is to reflect the rightful rule to point people that are the true king of kings and lord of lords in culture. So the, the, the basis of dominion theology, and it, it has different expressions. So there's, there's kingdom now theology, which kind of flows out of that as sort of a charismatic expression. I'm not, I'm not into that. There's radical reconstructionism, I'm not into some of that. Some of it I think is good. I'm not into all of it, but dominion theology is sort of that anchor, which says God fundamentally, yes or no presents himself as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in scripture. Yes. So he has dominion over all things. Yes. The world belongs to him. Yes. Do we belong to him? Yes. Does every government state person that's ever been born animal do the cattle on a thousand Hills actually belong to God? Yes. It's all gods. Mm -hmm. Some acknowledge it. Many don't, but it's all his. He's the rightful owner. And the idea is is that as believers who've been reawakened to that truth, that as we live our lives, we're representing God into culture. I'm not representing Islam. I'm not representing Buddhism. I'm not representing pagan utopianism. I'm representing God. Y'all represent someone. So I'm not gonna sit back and be quiet. I'm gonna represent the values, the purposes and the principles of God into culture, that means into my individual relationships, into the institutions that we've established in social order, into the family, into the church, the whole nine yards. So what it isn't, okay, so this is really important. I'm concerned that there's been an attempt to inextricably tie post-millennialism to Christian nationalism or dominion theology. It's like, well, this is driven by an uh, eschatological, an optimistic, so postmillennialism is an optimistic eschatological vision of Christ's kingdom essentially becoming more and more and more obvious and evident on planet earth. I have huge respect for that. I'm not a convinced postmillennialist. I still am and remain as I have been for 40 years. I'm a premillennialist. But I have very good friends that are post-mill, ah-mill, and pre-mill that are all in the same camp as I am when it comes to bringing the word of God, the principles of God back into culture. Now, so the point I want to make is that you don't have to hold to a particular eschatology to support the lordship of Christ over all of culture. Mm-hmm. Now some would say, well then it seems like a futile affair mm-hmm. because the, the neat thing about postmillennialism is that it's very optimistic. So how do you motivate people without optimism? Well, we should be motivated to do that which is right regardless of the outcome. And therefore, whether you are, optimistic in your eschatology or pessimistic in your ex- es- eschatology, you do what is right until Jesus Christ comes back, period. Regardless of whether you win, lose, win a little bit, lose a little bit in this life or not. Mm-hmm. So you're not, we're, we're not um, looking for, we don't, you don't have to have a payoff in this life to stand for this theological mm-hmm. system. Secondly, whether you are post-millennialist, which I have respect for, all millennialists, which I have respect for, or pre and all the different subsystems under that, um, we all believe in and have witnessed revivals in history and reformations actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't know when Jesus is coming back. All evangelicals believe in the second coming of Christ. We don't know when he's coming back I am not the kind of person that's going to say, oh, he's definitely coming back in my lifetime. There's no question about it. It has to happen now. Look, I've been around long enough. I've seen the, I've listened to the prophets. I've listened to the people predicting and writing books. Jesus is coming back here, 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 here. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, the idea then is that I am motivated by, a certain optimism that says revivals have happened in the past. Reformations have happened in the past. They can happen again. So in that respect, if you're, if you're, if you're just looking for, if, if, you, if you're not quite mature enough to just be okay with standing for truth, because truth is truth is truth, and that's enough regardless of the outcome. If you have to have something to look forward to, to fight the fight, then just remind yourself of the great awakening. Mm-hmm. Remind yourself of the Protestant Reformation. And that'll be enough to fuel you. So I I would, um, I know a, a lot of people that listen to my podcast or post mill, love you guys to death. Okay, absolutely love you guys to death. I refuse, I refuse to enter into any sort of division or polarization about that issue. I just refuse to do it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to dump me, dump me, but I won't dump you. I refuse to do that. What I would say is that what we need to be doing is pulling together for this core, essential, very explicit, like I die for this kind of stuff principle that Christ is Lord over all. And on these issues that the Christian church has historically gone back and forth on and there's been disagreement on, let's not make that a test of fellowship. Let's not wrongly assume the only way you can engage in the culture wars is by arriving at the exact same eschatological conclusion that this camp or this camp has arrived at. So I want to emphasize that Chris, that the dominion theology does not require a particular logically and biblically, it does not require, and I would disagree with anybody that claims otherwise, it does not require logically systematically or biblically, in terms of your biblical exegesis, your systematic theology, a particular eschatological outcome mm-hmm. in order to fight for these principles.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. It. I just think of like uh, the, the three uh, captives in Babylon going into the fire, right? And the outcome doesn't matter, the obedience does, right, ultimately. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I, and I also want people to hear this because I I come from a, a robust gospel-centered background that it, I, I I was raised in churches and convictionally, I do believe in justification by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sufficiency of scripture, in a bodily resurrection. I'm a hardcore guy on those issues. Mm-hmm. And I understand what justification is, and I know what sanctification is, and I know what glorification is, and I know all the reform doctrine surrounding those concepts. This is not a replacement for the means of salvation. So what's interesting is you get a lot of people, the red flag goes up and they're like, just wait, we can't get into culture and politics and civil issues because that's taking people's eyes off the gospel. I've heard people say, politics is not your business, pastor, just preach the gospel. I'm like, have you ever counseled a couple who's having a bad marriage? yeah, send him to marriage conferences, marriage seminars, give them a marriage book. Yeah, I said, why would you care that people's marriage flourish, which is a te- which is a temporal union? Your marriage doesn't continue into heaven? Why would you care that in the sphere of the family, that a marriage would flourish under God and that people would learn the principles and values of God's word to govern their marriage, if you don't care care about putting God's principles into place in the state, the sphere of the state. So we have the sphere of the family. We have the sphere of the church. We have the sphere of the state. We're all about good governance in the sphere of this, the church and mm-hmm. church discipline and making sure everybody conducts themselves in a way that's reflective of God's word. And then with the family, we're, you know, most Christians that I know of are pretty interested in making sure that we have robust marriages and we raise our kids properly and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, yeah, with the state, we don't the gospel message and the values of scripture. We we don't get involved in that. That that is um, ridiculous. So when we teach truth, we we should be teaching it in all the spheres of life, into families, churches, and states. Even when you educate your kids, you educate your kids in math or science or English or law or politics not from an Islamic perspective, not from a radical secular perspective, from a Christian perspective. And you know you, you don't, you don't yeah. read the Bible and then go teach your kids Darwinian evolution when it comes to science. You mm-hmm. teach them biblical creationism. Uh, you don't um, teach your kids law and say, well, actually, we're into Shiara law or we're into um, some sort of hedonistic neo-pagan utopian law code. We, 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 we know that the basis of Western law is, is the Ten Commandments and the commandments of God that flow out of that. And we're not about coercing people or making, forcing people to become Christian. But what we do deny is spiritual neutrality. Mm-hmm. So we believe that nations should expect of their citizens nothing less than obedience to the express, explicit commandments of the Bible. So in a Christian state, yeah, we don't let men marry men. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Hey, folks, we've, been, we've not been allowing that forever until like 2005. So this is not new stuff, folks. Mm-hmm. It's the radical um, leftists, I'll call them, in our culture that are, have done such a good job on promoting this this agenda that you can do and act however you want, and no one can interfere, and you have freedom of choice over every decision you make. Mm-hmm. This is absurd. Africa, a lot of African nations and Asian nations still think it's absurd, and looking at us, thinking you've lost, you know, you've lost your marbles. So th- this isn't rocket science. Bottom line is, you need to ask these questions: Do you believe that Christ has dominion over all things? Yes or no. If you say no, then you're not going to track with me but I think you have a major, major biblical theological problem on your hands right now. So is, does he have dominion overall? And do you believe yes or no in Genesis 1? Do you believe that part of your stewardship is to have dominion over creation under God? Yes or no? And then if you answer yes to the first and yes to the second, the question then just becomes, well, what does that look
0: like applied to all the different spheres of life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Canada is a country that at least, well, I'm thinking about Canadian context. Maybe this is true as south of the border as well. It's very secular and people seem to really embrace that the most neutral way to function uh, is a good thing to be secular, to try to be neutral so that everyone has a fair chance to live out their beliefs. So that, you know, there's it's an equal playing ground, so to speak, for each belief system to have Opportunity. So how would you respond to that argument? Well, I don't think God grants individuals
1: freedom of choice on every single aspect of life. Um, A man doesn't have a choice to act other than as a man. A husband, if he's in the sphere of marriage, his duties are very clearly defined. You don't act like a wife, you act like a man. A wife acts like a wife. A child acts like a child until they're grown. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're five or six, you obey your parents, you honor your parents we are called to honor and respect government. And the government is called to oversee public justice. That's your job. If you stop doing that, you're a tyrant or you're, you're usurping God's authority or whatever the allegation might be. So y- this idea, this radical individualism, that says, well, I should be able to come to Canada and act however I want. No, no, you are. First of all, that doesn't work, okay? There has to be speed limits. There has to be tax deadlines. There has to be tax codes. There has to be a criminal code. There has to be government. So real, like let's be realists. That doesn't work. But it's also not your right to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. This is this is to use a a common example. This is the biggest problem with the pro-choice movement. It's like, well, I have the right to kill my child. No, you don't. You don't have the right. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I want the right. You don't have it. Too bad. You don't have the right. Yeah, but what about this situation? What about rape? What about inset? Compassionately, we'll have a, a conversation, but if 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 we're just talking about the facts, which yeah, I think it's Ben Shapiro, this is facts, don't care about feelings. <laughs> just when it comes to the facts, you don't have the right. Just because I really, really loathe someone and want them to cease to exist or someone is really, 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 really inconvenient to me doesn't mean born or born that you have the right to execute them mm-hmm. just doesn't doesn't happen that way by the way wouldn't it be an interesting argument to say you know there's a person that really really has hurt me I, I I can't I can't avoid them they're just they're there they 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 irritate me they they've made my life difficult so I want permission by the state to execute them mm-hmm. no you should never, never be granted that mm-hmm. but uh, suddenly we apply that to the unborn under the premise that it's just a glob of tissue or something like that. But anyway, um, so how would I respond to that argument? Well, first of all, I would start off by reminding people of history. It's actually a false premise that Canada was not founded as a Christianized country. It's a false premise. Now, I was actually taught that in Mm -hmm. school, but it's actually a false premise. Mm -hmm. Countries like Canada, the United Kingdom, the United States, Uh, We were part of, again, I've mentioned this many times, we're we're called the West and often hated by the East or the Islamic Middle East because the fundamental underlying values of these nations are founded in scripture, Mm -hmm. Christendom. Now, I totally get it. I totally get it. There's been abuses. I get it. There's been misapplication. Mm -hmm. I get it. There's been hypocrisy. I get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the, the basis of our national identity historically was God and his word. Let me offer some ironclad proof. So Canada and the U.S. have Christian foundations. So since 1921 in the dominion of Canada... Our motto has been, quote, he shall have dominion Mm -hmm. also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, end quote. That's a direct quote from Psalm 72.8. Who's that referring to? God, that he might have dominion from British Columbia to Newfoundland, Mm -hmm. from sea to sea. That's our national motto. Why would you pick that if in 1921, you didn't believe that there's a God who has ultimate dominion over the dominion of Canada. We call it the dominion of Canada because it's under a monarch. And we are part of the British Commonwealth. We're part of, um, we have as our head of state, now she's more of a figurehead, but we still have as our head of state, Queen Elizabeth II. And in Canada, the way it works is Queen Elizabeth II is represented federally by the governor general Mm -hmm. who affirms the uh, parliament, the House of Commons choice of prime minister, who's generally the one that is the leader of the party that received the most votes. Mm -hmm. They affirm it. And then provincially, you have various lieutenant governors that on behalf of the head of state affirm provincial matters. So we have a head of state, present tense. This is not... 50 years ago, present tense, our head of state is Queen Elizabeth II. Listen to this line out of her 1952, I believe it was, coronation oath. The archbishop asks her this question, to which she responds in the affirmative. Will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of God? Of the gospel, the laws of God. Those we can't be pushing for those in culture. The gospel, no, we should keep that into church. Folks, study history. Mm-hmm. If you're a Canadian, your queen swore a solemn oath before God with her hand on the Bible that she would uphold the laws of God and the true gospel in canada mm. and in all of her realm respecting the lesser laws this is this is this is our our history mm-hmm. and again it's not just we're not just studying something from you know ancient times this is present tense so let me just say this if you're a canadian and you come here and you're deliberately attempting to you to Overturn the laws of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a treasonous act. When a politician, a prime minister, a premier, a member of parliament, a member of provincial parliament, a mayor, or a police officer chooses to disrespect, to disallow, and not uphold the laws of God in the dominion of Canada, you are acting in contravention of your queen. Mm -hmm. That's treason and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the funny thing is, Chris, we have the truth on our side. We have the truth of history on our side. We have the truth of the Bible on our, our side, but we have the truth of history on our side. I shouldn't even have to argue this stuff. Mm-hmm. People should be like, oh, okay, that's the way it is. Now, obviously we're not stupid. This is gonna be challenged with f- future monarchs. They'll probably try to overturn it. Yeah. But it's, I shouldn't have to argue, well, why are you a dominionist? She'd argue, "Why aren't you? Are you a Canadian? Why aren't you a Dominionist? Same south of the border, right? God bless America. Who? God bless America. Oh, so how many polit- how many presidents have said that? Every single one. They believe in the supremacy of God. That's not God as you know Him or Her, or It or They. That is the Christian God. Doesn't mean that all the founders were born again believers or." Theists, even some of them were deists, but those the basis God's law and the gospel is part of our history. It's our shared history, and it's been a good thing. This is why the world flocks to Western nations because when God's laws are recognized, individual dignity, for example, is recognized. Life is recognized. Um, Governments remove obstacles to work, to, to to employment. God, they support families. They support churches. Um. So the problem is we don't teach history. We've been raised to think, and so have some of our professors and pastors, that secularism is somehow morally neutral and that there is some call upon the church to stay out of the public realm. Um. Yeah, no, no. That's historically, culturally, and biblically unfounded.
0: Well, that's going to be a little controversial. I know. And one of my next questions is why is that controversial? But I think this is a good question that can flesh out a little bit more. Why this is such a controversial, controversial subject when really what's going on in culture and the church right now that requires us to think through these issues. Like why bring this up? So some people are going to hear this and they're like, I've never heard this before, but I accept it. It makes sense. It's biblical.
1: Okay, fine. I just never heard it. I just, so now I got to adjust my behavior. Then you're going to have people that are going to dig in and they're going to try to somehow argue biblically that this isn't accurate. I'm I'm not this isn't again this is not as open to debate and discussion. This isn't as ambiguous as your millennial theology. It's pretty clear. It's the it's creationally who is God? How does he present himself in the opening chapters of the Bible? What is your mandate and what is the purpose of the words and laws and principles of God that govern marriage, family, church, state. To me, it's just crystal clear. But why I believe it's so controversial is actually rooted largely in culture. So the culture hates this. Like the radical leftist agenda, they hate this. So I'm gonna give a few examples. So there's a recent MSNBC article Came out on the thirty first of uh, last month of May, twenty twenty two, and it's it's entitled "Why Christian Nationalism Is Suddenly at the Forefront." And the writer, Chris, his name's John Jones. He goes on to lament the rise of what he calls Christian fundamentalists and traditionalists. Uh, he says they're laying siege to America, and he just clearly has. Complete disdain for the traditionalists and the fundamentalists, which is interesting. It's one thing to say, you know what, I think traditionalism is maybe idolatrous or it doesn't make sense or whatever, but to suggest tradition suggests that you believed it first, you practiced it first. And while in some areas of life traditionalism can lead to legalism and whatnot, to to frame up Traditionalists, people that historically held to Christian nationalism, for example, as some sort of a radical new sect is, is just patently false, historically inaccurate. Nevertheless, he, he, he basically says that they're laying siege to America. Now, what's interesting is in a fascinating admission that confirms media bias, this man, Mr. Jones says, quote, media for its part seems more equipped now than in years past to call out Christian nationalism for being a dangerous theocratic, the dangerous theocratic belief system it is, end of quote. It's like, oh, we kind of thought that maybe media considered itself the guardians of cultural ideologies. Now we know it's true. <laughs> I mean, we already knew it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he just comes out and says it. That's such the so, role of journalism and media. Just tell us the truth, the facts, and let us draw our own conclusions. But he's like, we're equipped now to call out, and he uses judgmental words, the dangerous theocratic belief system that it is. And then, I mean, not only is it deeply concerning that the media thinks that this is their job, but he also labels the theocratic belief system dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, it is dangerous to the devil. It is dangerous to the LGBTQ2 plus S movement. It is dangerous to the statists. It is dangerous to the neo-pagan utopians. It is dangerous to the neo-communists. It is dangerous to the World Economic Forum. It is dangerous to Joe Biden. It is dangerous to Justin Trudeau, but it's nothing but a blessing to the nations. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He further labels uh, Christians in this article as dominionists, and then he calls dominionists a sect, and then quickly references, t- so the word sect, right, is sort of an innately a, ne- a negative word. So if I say, you're sectarian. Oh, no, I'm not. It's, it's not a substantive debate. It's not a debate about the issues. It's just, you're a cult. You're a sect. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to make dominionist language negative. So then when Christians are called dominionists, they're like, oh, no, I'm not a dominionist. I'm not a nationalist. Are you a globalist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Christian nationalist. Are you an unchristian nationalist? Are you a Christian globalist? Or are you, what are you? Are you a neo-pagan nationalist? You're something. So then what he does is he quickly references abuse scandals among Southern Baptists, which is like, okay, how does that relate? Inferring that there's some sort of a connection between abuse incidents and the attempts of some Christians to get Republicans elected in the United States. Right? So, he then goes on, I'll read one more quote here. He declares in his declaration, quote, all this exposure is serving its purpose, drawing the ugliness of Christian nationalism out of the shadows so that it can be seen publicly for what it is. Oppressive, far-right conservatism wrapped in scripture, end quote. Oh, because they believe men should marry women? Mm-hmm. Because they believe that votes should be tallied properly? Because they believe that the media is biased and represents what they want based upon sound bites from the politicians. Um, they're radical left conservatists because they believe that people should actually work for a living, that healthcare isn't a, an inalienable right, that someone else paying you universal income isn't a universal right, that you should have the right to free speech, that children shouldn't be butchered in the womb. But what we do is we take all of these righteous, biblical concepts grounded squarely in God's word. and We try to make them all bad. They're all bad. It's conservatism. You're a dominionist. And I think the article serves now, it's an American article, but it serves to reveal several important dynamics at play in the culture. You know, the current cultural wars, cultural ideolo- ideological wars. Uh, they include an ignorance of the Christian foundation of Western nations; just complete ignorance to that. Media bias, whereby the media overtly disdains, like the- when he says theocratic, you might as well just put the word Christian in there. Mm-hmm. So these are Christian. Values. Do you remember um, when there was a little hit piece written against me and some of my buddies oh, yeah. by the, this new Canadian anti-hate, Anti-Hate. network, which seems yep. to be getting some traction? And they call us Christian nationalists, and immediately they tie it to racism, white supremacy, and homo- homophobia. Mm-hmm. So um, the the left is is pretty good at at taking a word which I'd be like, yeah, I'll be called that. But then they they twist it and vilify it so much that you want to be like, you want like a 10-foot pole. You don't want to be anywhere near it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, my approach is to explain the words, the terms, and say, yeah, I agree with them. So uh, I am a Christian nationalist, and I do believe in dominion theology, as I've defined it. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to let someone else define it for me, but- the basic principles. I, I'm very comfortable. But there's an attack on it. The Baptist Joint Committee in the U.S. went after, uh, this is just recently, to Georgian Republic uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Green. She was lambasted for believing in Christian nationalism. And then they, they immediately tie it to the Capitol Hill riots. Right. right. Well, were there people at the Capitol Hill riots that were Christian nationalists? Probably. Okay. Uh, does that mean that that's the proper application of it? No. Does that mean we throw the whole system out because someone may have not conducted themselves properly? No. Like what's the connection? That's like saying I saw a Calvinist, you know, rob a grocery store. So I'm no longer a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. Or I saw an or I've heard of an Armenian pastor that molested a child. So I'm not an Armenian anymore. Mm-hmm. Or whatever your system is. People are going to, Act in ways that may or may not reflect your values. And then, by the way, the way they act is also going to be reported accurately or in, or inaccurately by mm-hmm. the media, so don't draw judgments too quick. But essentially, Chris, what I would like to suggest is that this, this, fu- this primary fundamental notion of Christian nationalism is historic. It's distinctly Christian. It affirms national sovereignty, God's word, God's laws over all people. It actually preps the way for the gospel because unless people have an awareness of sin when they violate God's word, what sense does grace make? So when people aren't even told that they're sinning because the church is so quiet and so concerned about moralizing culture and Christianizing culture, people run around thinking, yeah, it's, it's normal to sleep around. It's normal to cheat. It's normal to um, abuse your children. It's normal to do whatever you want sexually. So I have a vision And whether it happens in my lifetime or not, well, it's not going to change my approach because it's just right. I want to push to see God's uh, person and word laws acknowledged in my country and in other countries uh, around the world. And we're not saying that these beliefs are a key to national salvation or national revival, but they do pave the way for it. It, the it doesn't restrain people believing in other gods uh, or coerce them into forcing them into believing in Christianity, but it it would restrain their moral behavior and it would put guideposts in place for marriage. Marriage can't be whatever you want. no, it can't be. You can't just teach whatever you want in Christian schools because it's the latest thing um, So it, the the outworking of this, is um, in the the macro areas of culture is obvious. So if if I had my way, abortion would be absolutely banned in our Mm -hmm. country. Marriage would be exclusively limited to um, men and women in a heterosexual union as per human history, Mm -hmm. God's word, God's law that benefits children. Uh, People would work for a living there would be um, minimal laws to to um, manipulate and coerce people outside of the express words of God. The um, the state leaders they don't have to be born again Christians, but they they have to acknowledge God given rights. Mm-hmm. They have to acknowledge the the basis of Western law, the Ten Commandments, for example, the Mosaic Code. Um, but it wouldn't be like, oh, you're forced to go to church and you, know, you have to be in church on Sunday or you have to pretend you're praying to the Christian God or you have to be a, it's not that. But look at where we're going as a nation because we're so terrified of bringing God's words, God's law, God's values back into culture. Look where we're going, mm-hmm. it's nuts out there. You know, I was thinking today, if I, in the 1970s and 80s, when I was in public elementary education, For me to be exposed to some of the insane, crazy beliefs that kids are being exposed to in public schools, my teacher would have had to arrange for a field trip to the insane asylum because normal people didn't talk about that stuff. Normal people didn't dress up as drag queens and wiggle their rear ends in front of kindergarten students. Mm -hmm. They didn't do that. That's the stuff that would put you in an insane asylum, but now it's mainstream. You know, you go to the grocery store; they got a giant LGBTQ flag painted on the sidewalk, and then tents all on the front of the grocery store with people in there. I don't know if they're—I don't know if they're collecting donations or giving out paraphernalia or what. But the grocery store supports f- pride. Now, I didn't—I didn't go in; I just drove away because so I don't because I don't support. And by the way, Christians don't don't. Don't back down. Like don't support exactly. businesses that fly the sodomite flag. Just don't do it. It's wrong. Why, why give them your money when there might be a grocery store down the road that's like, oh, I wonder which way the wind's blowing. I see all the cars pulling in down there. You have freedoms. Okay. But don't use your freedoms as a cover up. Mm -hmm. for supporting that which is unrighteous. So be discriminant. If you can't go to your favorite donut store anymore, don't go. Mm -hmm. Like boycott these places, hit them in the pocketbook because there's a whole agenda. Maybe we'll do a podcast on this. There's a whole agenda of groups and businesses that will actually help your business to participate in the whole pride month Mm -hmm. and how to market that and bring your people on board. It's affecting police departments, um, hardware stores, you know, mm-hmm. um grocery stores, yeah, banks, and banks and- so, don't support these if you have the wherewithal, start businesses that are actually a benefit to society and culture, and then, on their most fundamental values, are supportive of um Christian values. When I say Christian values. If you trail it back, I mean biblical values. Mm -hmm. And if you trail that back, I mean creational values. Mm -hmm. The values that God wanted installed in creation in the beginning. So that's our podcast for today. And I hope it's a blessing to people as they think through the interplay between Christianity and an increasingly hostile culture.
0: Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. Appreciate the definition of those terms and the explanation and application of that. I think our listeners have been blessed by that as well. As a reminder to our listeners, where to find this podcast, obviously you found it one way or another, so that's a good spot wherever you are at. Uh, But you can also find it on the Fight Laugh Feast Networks app, assuming you aren't listening to it on there right now. And that's a really good tool because it will provide you with this podcast if this episode perhaps gets canceled. Uh, You can also listen to this on the CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion. So look that up. 11 a.m. Tuesdays and 11 p.m. Thursdays. It's rebroadcast. We also have lots of places that we're putting it out on our website and social media. Make sure to follow Aaron on social media, Aaron Rock. Look him up. You'll see him there. Follow him. Friend him if you can find one of his Five thousand friends that have maybe one, maybe one's deleted. I don't know. <laughs> so, anyways, find a spot there, connect with them, and uh, tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.